we've gotten a lot of backlash from consumers who are saying, I boycotted Amazon 15 years ago. Why are you working with them? My answer to that is, you know, there are hyper, hyper green people, and that's probably five to 7% of the population who are doing incredible work, more than I will ever do, probably. They're completely vegan. They will never fly again. They shop only at farmer's markets, et cetera. And I give them a lot of credit. That's not America. People will continue to shop on Amazon, whether we're there or not. And so our feeling is let's make it as efficient as possible so that we can all have a better experience. Welcome to This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature, where we introduce you to guests who are working to save our natural world and then offer them a chance to take on a personal challenge to make their lives more joyful and fulfilling through exploring their values. Today, I'm here talking to Lizzie Horvitz. Lizzie, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Eugene. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Actually, I think congratulations are in order because originally we had to reschedule because if I'm not mistaken, you just got married. I did. We got married a week ago today or yesterday. Congratulations. Oh, wow. That's awesome. How does it feel to have the wedding over with? It feels great. You know, actually, we did something a little bit unique where in the state of Colorado, you do not need an officiant or a witness to get married, you two can just go on a hike and sign some paperwork. And so that's what we did, which was less stressful. And then we'll do a a big stressful party in about a year. (laughs) Oh, cool. I was actually going to ask if sustainability like came into your head at all when you were thinking about the wedding. I think the sustainability part didn't come in particularly for the event itself, but in other ways, thinking about the ring that I wanted. The the setting is actually an old setting from my mom's engagement ring. And then the stone comes from Montana and it's unheated. So we tried to sort of really have sustainability in mind for that. I definitely didn't want a blood diamond. And then for the wedding, absolutely. You know, it, this was easy because it was just us and very, very minimal carbon footprint. But unfortunately, I think when we do have a party in a year, that might be a different story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, my wife and I still haven't had our wedding yet. And it's something that I think about all the time. We need to do this, but how much do I want sustainability to factor into this wedding? It's already just like such a stressful thing to plan. And if you have to add extra constraints, it just makes it even more hard. One thing that I really did want to do is have my wedding guests offset their footprint to travel to us. And I was surprised to see this is a good business opportunity for any listeners. I was surprised to see that it's not really an easy thing to do. Like you can't register for offset your flight or anything like that. And I thought that that could be a really cool opportunity. Yeah. Huh. That is interesting. Yeah. They should have something like that. That sounds like that would be a thing. But I mean, you're definitely able to offset your flight, you know, through yeah, yeah. various means, but to do like a mass party offset, I didn't, I couldn't find anything yet. Yeah, like a a group carbon offset for flights. Huh. Oh, there you go. Are you originally from Colorado? You mentioned that you did your uh, wedding in in Colorado. I am originally from Cleveland, Ohio. And that was a really interesting place to grow up regarding the environment because a lot of the environmental movement can be attributed to, I think it was 1968, 1969, when the Cuyahoga River caught on fire because it was so polluted. And that was, you know, along with Silent Spring and a couple of other really big watershed events. That was a huge reason why everybody was like, okay, we really need to do something. And of course, I wasn't around when that caught on fire, but still just to in that area that has such a pollution history, I think really impacted me. So I was in Cleveland and then I went to school in Vermont, lived in New York for a while, and then finally made my way out to Colorado about a year ago. 
Wow. Was there a particular reason you chose Colorado in the end? Or was that, did your whole family move there? A couple of things happened really luckily for me. My sister and brother-in-law moved out there. I was taking advantage of COVID working remotely in Jackson, Wyoming. Uh I'm a big skier and was in Jackson. And I fell in love with my now husband who was living in Colorado at the time. And so I moved there because my family was there and because my boyfriend was there at the time. And it's been fantastic. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I love Colorado. I used to go out there every summer. All my dad's family is out there. So I used to spend every summer out in Colorado. It's one of the best states. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it is really great. And there's so many people who just love nature and the environment. Like everybody's into like biking or rock climbing or something that you do outdoors. It's 100%. I love that about it. Yeah. I agree. All right. So let's see. You're the CEO and founder of Finch, a digital sustainability tool that shares products, environmental and social impacts. So we're going to kind of get into that today. But I was hoping to get a little bit of your background first. So did you kind of have a background in tech and then want to go into sustainability or were you interested in sustainability and that kind of led you into making this tool? I do not have any background in tech. I have been a sustainability person since I was 16. I've been really passionate about climate change since then. So um, almost half my life at this point, or more more than half my life, actually, trying to figure out how old I am. And so (laughs) I, you know, when I graduated from college, I was thinking about, I knew I wanted to do something for the environment, for climate change, but I didn't know in what sector. There's, you know, nonprofit government, you know, private sector, et cetera, and realized about two years out of college that I think the solutions to our largest problems will be solved in the private sector. I think we absolutely need NGOs and governmental support, but I think a lot of the excitement is happening in the private sector. And so that's sort of what got me into working with companies to help them reduce their carbon footprint. All right, let's get into Finch. So it's a digital sustainability tool. And why don't I bet you can probably explain it better than I can. So can you just tell me about Finch? What is it? So Finch is a platform right now. It's a browser extension that rates products based on their environmental attributes. So we look at the carbon footprint, the area of manufacturing, the chemicals used, etc. We have about 250 data points. We put that through a machine learning model and that spits out a score for an individual product. And so when you're shopping on Amazon, you type in body wash, the specific brand that you're looking at, and we'll say, okay, this gets a 6.5 out of 10. You can do better. Here are three alternatives in case you're interested in making a better decision. And here's why they're better and what type of attributes we're looking at. So right now, again, that really only works on Amazon, but we just signed a partnership with Microsoft so that when you go on Microsoft Bing shopping, we power their ethical shopping hub where you can sort by sustainable products. Oh, man. That's so cool. So so it's literally just built into your browser. So when you go to Amazon, will it just pop up in the corner with every product you look at? Or how does that work? It will just pop up in the corner. That's exactly how it works. That sounds awesome. Where do you guys collect all that data from? Is that stuff that you pull from the Amazon pages itself? Or do you go deeper than that? Yeah, it's sort of two different types of data that we're pulling. The first is generally about the category. We're looking at what makes a body wash sustainable, right? Is it their packaging? Is it the chemicals involved, et cetera? And we weight them quantitatively by all the research. So from NGO reports, academic papers, anything we can find that's sort of brand agnostic. And then once we have those inputs, then we scrape the Amazon details pages is exactly like a a really huge data source, but also 
we pay for some data sources and various APIs and collect data from a bunch of different places. Yeah, because I feel like that must be a huge amount of data to mine for everything on Amazon. It is. And you know, Finch's sweet spot is that right now, if you look at the landscape, there are certain labels that you can look at where something says this is green or eco-friendly, which doesn't mean anything. And that is what that option is right now for people. Or companies on the opposite side can spend you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a life cycle analysis where a company will go into a manufacturing center and see exactly how everything's done. We would never claim to be as detailed as that. We're not individually going into brands headquarters to see how they're working. But what we found is a sweet spot where we can get as much as we possibly can online and it's good enough. Yeah, I, I almost feel like you're, you're kind of unmasking all the greenwashing that's going on. Exactly. You know, I started Finch because of this frustration that I had where what we really were looking for was a nerd wallet for sustainability. So I don't know if you're familiar with nerd wallet, but you know, if if I ever want to get a new credit card or refinance my mortgage or anything, nerd wallet is my go-to because it's based in data, it's accessible to normal people who don't necessarily understand finance like me. There's nothing like that that exists in sustainability, right? So when you Google what does eco-friendly packaging mean, you are going to get a ton of information, some of which will make your eyes gloss over because it's an academic paper that's really detailed, and some of which you just can't really trust because it's a blogger who is getting paid by a company who uses eco-friendly packaging, right? And so we really wanted to be that middle ground of we're going to tell you exactly what to look for so that you don't get... Uh, sucked in by greenwashing, to be honest. I wonder, have have you met any backlash? Like, I feel like there are some companies out there that are actively trying to do this greenwashing thing. And if your product comes out and is telling everybody, hey, this is kind of greenwashing, are you going to get anything coming from that company going, hey, we don't appreciate you doing this on our products? We've been lucky that we haven't yet. But, you know, to be honest, a company like that will go one of two ways either they're actually not doing the work and they're lying about it, in which case they don't have a leg to stand on, right? Because they mm. either change your practices or stop talking about it. But you, you can't have it both ways. And I don't think they would have any legitimate argument against us for saying that. Or companies are doing the right things, but they're still using those sort of catchy words, which I would say is the majority. A lot of companies are doing great work, but they just don't understand how to communicate it. And for those instances, I think we're actually extremely helpful to them because we say we're going to give you a good rating of 9.5 because you're actually doing the work and that's going to be so much more meaningful than these buzzwords that don't mean anything. Or we can help you sort of figure out how to market this in, in the best way because we know it matters to consumers. Right, right. You're actually like the, the third party judge that you can tell people, you know, if this is actual, legit, eco-friendly products or greenwashing. Exactly. And then for retailers, it's so valuable because, and we didn't even think about this when we were thinking of our business model, but you know, if you are buying, you're probably not buying mascara that much, but if, if, if I'm buying mascara, I go to Sephora and I look at clean by Sephora and that has a set of standards. And then I go to Amazon and I look at climate pledge friendly and that has a set of standards. And then I go to a third retailer and it's all different ways of marketing mascara and figuring out what the most sustainable products are. Everybody should be using the same sort of 
criteria across the board. And so Finch's goal is that we can be implemented into all these retailers so that they in-house don't have to make those difficult decisions and go up against a lot of bureaucracy. We take on that risk and we say, we're happy to get backlash. And you can just say, we're just using Finch's criteria. And that's What kind of response have you been seeing from people? Are you seeing a lot of people signing up to use this? Like, what are are the kind of numbers on it? We have over a thousand users right now, which is a really exciting milestone for us. We launched the extension about four months ago. And so that's been exciting. You know, I'm not a market or growth marketing has been really difficult. We have great retention and we have very active users. So meaning like over... I, I don't know the exact number, but over like 10% of the people that, that have downloaded our extension are using it on a weekly basis, which is great. So retention's great. It's just tough to get people to find out about it in the first place. But once right. they do, they, they really like it. I think we've struck a good balance of, you know, if you want to go into the details and find out the nitty gritty of every single data point that we used, we have the ability to do that and to provide that information. We're an incredibly transparent company. But also, if you're in a bind and you just need to know like what diapers to get for your child, we can just tell you that brand pretty quickly and you don't have to go into the details. So we're kind of serving both, which I appreciate. Cool. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to download it after this. I'd be really, <laughs> really interested to see how this works. Is there any aspects of like, user interactability can people like leave their own reviews through finch or or do those still happen on amazon is there a way for like finch users to connect with other finch users or anything like that that is absolutely part of our long-term plan we're not quite there yet but we as a team have really exciting ideas the first is a sort of gamification opportunity so you could technically compete with your family on who's being most sustainable which is really fun so you'd have sort of like a score of you know Eugene has saved X amount gallons of water by switching these products over the past month and his brother didn't. So I'm really excited about that. And then the other thing that's really important to Finch is providing product recommendations that people really want to use where the function and quality is there. So there's a, we have some competitors who can say this, you know, has zero footprint and is super sustainable, but then it's a toilet paper brand that feels like sandpaper and nobody wants that. Right. And so (laughs) A really important part of that is that right now we're using Amazon reviews and other review sites to say, like, do people actually like this? And that goes into directly into our rating system. I think eventually we'd want to bring that in-house and have a community of people who are rating these. Like, we'll Finch as a company will handle sustainability. And then we encourage our consumers to handle function and quality to let us know. Because we, as a small team, will never be able to try the hundreds of thousands of products that we rate. So we sort of depend on our community for that. Right. I wonder, how did you actually come up with the idea to to start Finch? Was it kind of you were looking at it from the, the, the greenwashing aspect or were you kind of just getting frustrated just trying to find sustainable products online? Because I have a strong background in this field and a lot of people in my community, family and friends don't have a formal background in sustainability. I was that phone a friend that everybody would ask about, hey, I just bought the sunscreen. Are there carcinogens in it? Or I need a new bed. Which one is best? And, you know, I could only get so far myself with the research that I did, and I could not find a website to direct them towards. And so it was really a personal problem that I was having and that I found my friends were having. And it was A, like, I can't do this myself. And B, what happens to the millions of people who don't have a Lizzie in their life who has a an advanced degree in this. And so it actually started pretty slowly. I started while I was I was working at Unilever on their sustainability team. 
And I started a newsletter. It was called The Green Lizard. And it came out once a month. And it sort of just explained in detail, but in a really simple way, what was going on. Here's why our winters are colder, even though climate change is happening. And here are the top 10 things that you can do as a consumer, et cetera. And then I left Unilever. I went to go join a tiny startup. And I, having never thought about entrepreneurship before, completely fell in love with it. I loved taking a company from inception to scale. I found that I was better at that than any other job that I had had previously. And so right at the beginning of COVID, I was thinking, I think this newsletter could really become a full-time thing with that North Star of sort of like the honey slash nerd wallet for sustainability. And that's how that started. Oh, man, that's really cool. Yeah, I know that experience of having people ask you for advice on products and things and just being like, I mean, I, I've never bought mascara before. So I don't I don't exactly know how sustainable mascara is. So exactly. Yeah. And what's really fun. And part of the reason we changed the name, you know, the newsletter was called the Green Lizard because my name's Lizzie and my nickname's Lizard. I personally thought it was a really clever name. And Aside from a lot of other reasons, part of the reason we changed the name was because Finch is not me anymore. Like I am learning things every single day that my scientists are uncovering. And so it's really fun for me to be able to learn from my own team on what these sustainability metrics should look like. It's It's gone way beyond my skill set. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I wonder if we could go take a step back, not from just shopping on Amazon, but just shopping in general. I feel like you've probably thought a lot about sustainable shopping in all aspects of life. When people want to buy things more sustainably, just in their regular everyday life, what, what are the main things that people should be thinking about when they want to make more sustainable decisions? Well, one thing that really blew our mind, and I actually just got a lot of backlash on it on social media, is that oftentimes buying online is more efficient than buying in person. And that, you know, that has a couple of asterisks, meaning if you're walking or biking to the store, absolutely go for it. Shopping locally is fantastic. Also, not to mention like supporting small businesses we love. But there's a lot of sort of economies of scale efficiencies that come from shopping online, which is as opposed to you driving to the store, a van is coming directly to your street and dropping something at every single house along the way. And that is an efficiency that not a lot of people are thinking about. And so the first thing that I would say, honestly, is don't get really caught up shopping online, the thing that's going to make the biggest difference is the speed in which it takes to get to your house. And so Amazon Prime is problematic because then people or vans are going out of their way to get you something as soon as possible. But if you just click, whether it's Amazon or any other platform, if you just click general shipping, I can get this in five to seven days. That's a really great way to shop. And so I guess that would be my first point is try to be a little bit more organized. And, you know, instead of saying, I just ran out of shampoo, I need more tomorrow in, you know, five days before notice and say, I'm going to plan ahead for this. And I'm going to expect the shampoo to come in seven days. I think the other thing that's really interesting is the packaging around shopping, particularly around reusable bags. We love reusable bags, but we did another really interesting study that showed if you happen to be shopping for groceries or for anything and you forget your cotton tote in the car or at home, it's actually better to get a plastic or paper bag that one time versus getting a new reusable bag. Reusable bags have a serious carbon footprint in terms of manufacturing, much more so, honestly, than paper or plastic. And so 
those bags are meant to be used hundreds of times. And if you're not using them hundreds of times, if they're sitting in your house and piling up, it sort of defeats the purpose of, of sustainable bags. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we've seen a lot of that kind of anti-eco-friendly stuff online these days because yeah people started to go to the reusable bags but then all this data started coming out that you know the reusable bags have a much 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 larger carbon footprint than the regular ones so now you start getting all these people saying ah no don't do the reusable bags those are actually worse for the environment and then everybody gets confused and nobody knows what to do (laughs) and i think one of the things that makes things so confusing is that there are so many different factors that are within sustainability, right? Are you worried about ecotoxicity, climate change, fish getting straws and stuck in their noses? There are so many different issues. And so, you know, reusable bags is kind of a similar problem to metal straws, which is, or plastic straws, which is none of us like to see turtles with straws stuck in their noses, particularly I'm a huge animal person. That's not my jam, but you know, one in 4,000 straws, plastic straws end up ends up in the ocean. So that's not a, a 100% chance. 100% chance is when you make a metal straw, those emissions are being emitted, so to speak, right? right? So if you're worried about climate change, you might want to think about using a plastic straw unless you already have a metal straw, in which case you should use it as much as possible. Right. Yeah, I think that's kind of the the biggest point with all of these kind of environmentally friendly things like the tote bags and the reusable straws and all that. It's it's more about how many times you use it. And in some cases, you have to use them quite a bit. I read that in some cases, those cotton totes got to be used literally tens of thousands of times, which I'm not even sure if some of them last that long. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a tough call, and it's interesting what you said too about the the delivery thing because I actually had an experience like that literally two days ago when for work I had to deliver a letter to a government office, and I was just like, eh, it's kind of on my way home, so I'll just drive it and drop it over because I usually put it in the post. But I drove it over there, and it ended up taking me like probably 20 to 30 minutes out of my way up to this office up in it was like in the mountain up on a hill I had to drive all the way up this mountain go all the way up there I gave the letter and then another 20 minutes back and I was just like the environmental impact of the post office just delivering this because they would have been going here anyway would have been a lot less than me in my car driving all the way out here to drop off this letter I was like exactly I thought I was doing something better but I ended up doing something worse Totally. And it's so cool that you thought about that yourself. I think most people just, it, it's so complicated. And I think our environmental community as a whole has not been doing favors for itself because the answer is always like, well, it depends. What kind of car do you have? And what kind of gas do you, you know, all these like nerdy detailed questions, which most people are like, all right, I give up. I'm just not going to think about it. And that's not the answer we need. We need to be able to explain this in really simple terms on what these trade-offs are. Gotcha. There's a lot of questions I think that that people have. I mean, especially when it comes to Amazon, if we go back to Amazon for a second, I mean, they say like, what, 75% of people shop using Amazon. And Amazon doesn't exactly have the best reputation and sustainability in the world. Do you ever have to consider with Finch the fact that Amazon does have areas where kind of People would argue that they take advantage of their workers or that they are doing some deforesting in certain parts of the world, things like that. Do you have to take that stuff into consideration too with Finch? 
100%. And I love, I love when people ask me this question because we, we think about it almost on a daily basis. And we've actually, you know, when you asked about like backlash from companies, we haven't gotten that as much, but we've gotten a lot of backlash from consumers who are saying, I boycotted Amazon 15 years ago. Why are you working with them? Or, and we're not, to be fair, we don't have a formal partnership with them. We're a, an overlay, but we, we are very open to working with them and we have a great relationship with them. My answer to that is, you know, there are hyper, hyper green people, and that's probably five to 7% of the population who are doing incredible work, more than I will ever do, probably. They're completely vegan. They will never fly again. They shop only at farmer's markets, et cetera. And I give them a lot of credit. That's not America. And that will never scale. I don't think from our research that will never go beyond 7% of the population. And so our feeling, and this is why I worked at Unilever, this is why I want to work with these large companies, is that people will continue to shop on Amazon, whether we're there or not. And so our feeling is let's make it as efficient as possible so that we can all have a better experience, at least for myself. I'll, I'll put it this way. I don't believe in my own capabilities to get people to go to choosefinch.com every time they want to buy deodorant as opposed to taking them away from Amazon. I just don't think that I have it in me to make that happen. I give other companies a lot of credit who are creating marketplaces, but that's not for me. And so we started with Amazon for that exact reason. Amazon's not perfect, but thousands, millions of people use it every single day. So let's let's try to make that as, as good as possible. Do you ever envision a world where the scope of Finch expands and you're actually having times when people are shopping on Amazon and it's going, hey, there's actually a more sustainable option at this website if you don't buy it on Amazon? I think we would love that. And I think it's just going to be a balance from my technical team to let me know like how we can do that without getting kicked off of Amazon because the last thing we would want to do is get blocked by these retailers that we're working with and that we have a really good relationship with. But yeah, I mean, we're all about democratizing data. And so the last thing we'd want to do ever right now, it's just because of technical like resource shortcomings that we're not able to go beyond Amazon right now. But I think eventually we'd like to say, here's the entire, you know, Coterie is a great example. Coterie is a diaper brand that we are obsessed with. We think that they, given the the climate around diapers, they're doing about as good as possible, even though they're a little too expensive. They're not on Amazon. And so we don't recommend them when people are shopping for diapers. We'd love to get to a point where we can tell people this is actually the most the most sustainable diaper out there. But we just have to figure out how to do that without hurting anyone's feelings. Right. So where can people go if they want to learn more about Finch or if they want to start using this browser extension? Go to choosefinch.com and you can download it directly from our website. We also have top 10 product lists, a lot of blogs and resources right on our website along with downloading the extension. You can sign up to our newsletter. So I really encourage people to do that. I would also encourage people to reach out at hey at choosefinch.com. I manage that inbox. And what's so fun about this time in our business is that we're still small enough that we read every email that people send us. And so if anybody has feedback, wants to do a user interview, we're creating this for the people listening to this podcast right now. And so we're really open to feedback and ideas. Cool. Now, I think it probably goes without saying that you went out of your way to create this whole sustainability tool. I, I think it goes without saying that you probably care about the environment. Would that be a correct assessment? That's fair, yes. <laughs> Very nice. Then I wonder, what does the environment mean to you? This is a question that we ask all of our guests because we find that 
despite the fact that when I first started doing this, I thought that everybody was going to kind of have the same answer. It's, it's the trees, it's the mountains, the water. I thought everyone was going to have the same answer, but I find that everybody has kind of their own unique answer. Everyone has like a specific memory about the environment that they think of anytime they think of the environment or a specific feeling that they feel when they think about the environment. I wonder to you personally, what does the environment mean to you? It's such a good question. I think I have two answers. Is that allowed? Absolutely. Perfect. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is longevity. I always think of the sustainability definition, which is living in a way that supports our needs, but doesn't compromise the needs of future generations. And so it's making sure that things last and the the things that we love, our built environment and our natural environment can maintain themselves for my grandchildren and generations to come. So I think that's what I always think of as sort of like how long this will last and how long can we all, whether it's animals or people or anything, enjoy this space. The reason why I got into sustainability was because when I was 16, when I first fell in love with this, I was living in the Bahamas off the grid. So I was living in a place where everything was run on solar and wind and all of our food came from our farm if it didn't rain, we did not shower. That was like very, very strict. And if you remember back to 2004, you know, of course, people have been studying climate change for decades, but it was not commonplace like it is today. It was not in the news every day. It was not discussed to the extent that it is today. And so I didn't really know. I didn't understand it. And I went to this area to live and saw this beautiful way of living without compromise. And so the way that I explain it is like, I kind of saw the solution before I fully understood the problem. I think a lot of people first hear about climate change and they see hurricanes and droughts and wildfires. And that's a really scary thing that people don't want to think about. And so that makes people not want to be a part of the solution because it's so overwhelming. Whereas I, because the solution was the first thing that I saw, have sort of always taken a almost the opposite view of like, we can get here in a really beautiful, cool way. Oh my God. Oh man, I have so many questions about that. You lived in the Bahamas off the grid. Huh. What what was that like? So it was a school. I had been at the same school of 50 girls from preschool through what was supposed to be 12th grade. And my parents were the most amazing people and always encouraged me to do cool things. They were like, do you need a break? Do you want to switch schools? What do you want to do? And there was, I wasn't ready to switch schools completely because I had a good experience, but there was this opportunity that was pretty new to go to a place called the Island School, which was a place-based learning semester where you live in the Bahamas with a bunch of other people and you wake up at five and train for a half marathon every single day. And then you do chores and you work and take classes. Like our math class, our geometry class was basically like, what angle does the wind generator need to be at for the best, you know, return, etc. Like, so, That's so cool. Awesome. It was awesome. And when I say I need to fully explain it, because when people hear like, oh, you went to school in the Bahamas, that's tough. It was like one of the hardest things that I've ever done, like waking up at five and having to feed the pigs and then run 12 miles was not that fun. And not necessarily like easy, you know, sunbathing experience. But it was fantastic. And honestly, it's like every single decision that I've made in the past 18 years is because of that. How did it feel being there? I wonder, like, when you were there, when you were doing these things, was it just kind of like, oh, this is this this kind of sucks? Or was it like every day something exciting and new and fun? What did it feel like? 
it was amazing. I loved every single second. It was like, you know, it's sort of a self-selecting group of kids. We were 16. That's pretty young. And we were all determined to do something cool. You know, I would say four of those people of my class of 40 are still some of my closest friends today. And so it was really a community driver, which was fantastic. And you're just seeing how amazing, like I was living in the suburbs of Cleveland, which was beautiful, but it's suburbia. And we were instead, you know, going underwater with waterproof papers to take tests on what fish we were seeing. Like there's really no comparison to to an experience like that when you're like, this world is so freaking cool. Yeah, no kidding. Holy cow. Yeah, you didn't even you didn't even talk about what the Bahamas itself was like. You talked about your experiences there. But man, I imagine it must have been just absolutely beautiful. You got ocean and forest, I'm imagining. It was absolutely beautiful. Yep. We were at the southern part of Eleuthera, Cape Eleuthera, which, oh my gosh, it was made out of really calcium carbonate. So this like very sandy land and very clear waters. And it was just, it just makes you think like, okay, if I take a 10 minute shower, my roommates will not be able to take a shower because it only rained so much last night. Right. Whereas like for the first 15 years of my life, I would just take a shower every day and not think about it. Like you don't think about, or I didn't, I'm sure plenty of people do, but I didn't think about like, where's this water coming from? Or like, where's this food on my dinner plate coming from? That just like wasn't part of my routine. And so to have that all sort of right in front of you for, it was only three months. It was a very short amount of time, but it really had an impact. Definitely. I imagine more than most people that live in suburbia, like you were talking about, I imagine you really, really strongly feel that connection to nature. Absolutely. I do. I don't know what the situation there is like now, whether it's gotten worse at all due to climate change, whether they have any problems with the coral reefs or anything like that there. But man, I imagine it must have felt awesome to be swimming among all those fish. It felt phenomenal. We'd go swimming whenever we had a free moment, but also... We did a kayak trip for eight days when we were kayaking in like 10 foot swells, which was super scary. We had to do these run swims where we'd run a mile and then swim a mile and then run or not a mile, but we'd run and then swim and then run and then swim. So it was like also a very, I know that there's a word for it, but I can't think of it. It's just a very like strong sense too. It wasn't just like, look at this pretty ocean. It was like, this is where life is being created. And when I'm getting beaten down because I'm like not out of shape and can't swim as well and all these different feelings. So when I'm hearing you talk, I'm hearing connection to the environment. I'm hearing these profound feelings of awe and then sometimes fear and then the joy from from just living connected to the environment. Would that be a pretty accurate assessment of your feelings there when you were living in the Bahamas? Definitely. Perfect. So I wonder then, so thinking about those feelings, thinking about those memories that you have when you lived in the Bahamas and and remembering, you know, kayaking over those swells and, and being out in the ocean with all the fish. Based on those feelings, and this is totally optional, but is there something you can think of that you could do to act on those feelings? So there's a few conditions. It doesn't have to be the biggest thing. It's not about doing the most important thing or, or what the New York Times tells you you have to do for climate. It's not about how big or how small it is, but it's about finding something that's meaningful to just you. The point is to act on something that you care about. So we find that if you do something that is good for the environment, but also 
good for you that you're going to be much more likely to continue to do it. And you're probably going to be a lot more likely to look for other things that you could do because it just makes you feel good to do it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you could think of that you would want to try to do? Such a good question. I think one thing that comes to mind, and maybe this isn't concrete enough, but to have active gratitude for the natural world more than I do now. So I'm about to go to the East Coast to stay with family on the ocean. And mm-hmm. I think every day that I'm there, jumping in the ocean and literally, as cheesy as it sounds, saying like, thank you for this, like whoever is responsible, <laughs> just like actively understanding like this is an amazing fortunate feeling that I get to see such an untouched environment and experience it. And then when I'm back in Colorado, every time we're going on a hike or taking the dog for a walk every day or something, just actively like being grateful, I think is something that I really want to work on. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is something that I think is super, super important. And I think that it's probably something that people don't do enough of these days. But I was wondering if we could think of something that might actually even change the state of the environment that you're in. Is there something that you could do that would actually enact change? Though keeping those the grateful thoughts in mind are definitely something that that I would say we should always be trying to do more of. I think one thing that I've been trying to do is cut down, and this is not anything groundbreaking either, but it's active, cut down on single-use anything, whether it's plastic or anything else, because, you know, what I always tell people, and I don't do this myself consistently, is whenever you buy something or use something, think about how long that's going to be used. And, you know, when I forget my to-go coffee cup and I go get a nice coffee that's plastic, I drink it for 15 minutes max, and then it goes into the trash or it gets recycled. How can I better be conscious of only buying things that I can reuse and reusing things that I don't have to buy. Yeah, that would absolutely be a good challenge that you could take on. I'm actually curious, as you were talking about that too, I actually started thinking back to, you're talking about being in the Bahamas again. And I started thinking about, I wonder when you were in the Bahamas, did you see a lot of plastic pollution and that kind of stuff at that time? Oh man, I, I honestly don't remember. I know that they didn't have as strong of a recycling infrastructure as they could have. And I think, yes, now that I think about it, you know, when we go into towns, there'd be a lot of litter when, you know, people would have like an ice cream wrapper, just like throw it out on the street because there was nowhere else to put it. I did see that occasionally, but it wasn't overwhelming. I lived in Bali for a couple of months at the startup that I worked at right before I started Finch. That was incredibly heartbreaking because they have no real waste management infrastructure there. And I would like take surfing lessons and not want to put my head under the ocean water because it was so polluted. Like that was a very, very strong feeling that I had much, much more than the Bahamas. Really? I actually, I know what you're talking about. I actually have been to Bali before and I did see just beaches just covered in trash. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, It's actually one of the things that I think of sometimes when I think about reducing the garbage that I use because when I was there, I did find trash that was like, oh, this is this is not stuff they sell here. This is actually American trash that is like washing mm-hmm. up on on the beach there. So exactly. interesting. Okay. So that would actually be another point that we could use. So if you're thinking about reducing the amount of single-use plastic you use, then that is actually going to be impacting 
not just your direct environment, but also those places that you have in your memory from the past. So at this point, we always want to try to make it a SMART goal. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the SMART goals before, but specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound. So how much do you want to do? For how long do you want to do it? How long do you think you would want to try this challenge? And how much would you want to do? I generally do challenges. Instead of having New Year's resolutions, I personally have monthly resolutions. This has been happening for the past couple of years. Um, really? I do a different one every every month. And so I'd be up for doing it for a month. Cool. So what is it exactly that you're going to do? Let's make it super specific. I am going to pledge to not buy anything that I can use for less than an hour. Does that make sense? Like anything that will only be used before it's thrown away in an hour, I will avoid. That's so cool. I've actually never, ever heard a challenge like that. That's the first time I've heard. I've heard people, you know, say like, okay, I'm not going to get any single use plastics, anything like that. But adding that time aspect is a new way of thinking about it for me. And I've, I've never actually heard anyone come up with that challenge before. I that's really cool. I just made it up on the spot. So, Well, that's great. That's a fantastic challenge. Would you be interested in coming back a second time just to talk a little bit about how the challenge went after you've had kind of a meaningful experience? Of course, I'd be happy to. Excellent. So when we stop the recording, then we can go ahead and just pick a quick date to uh, follow up the conversation. Great. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciated your whole talk. Is there anything that you want to share with the listeners that I forgot to bring up? I don't think so. I would just love to reiterate that I would encourage everybody to download the extension and let us know what they think so that we can make it as, as helpful as possible to everybody. Fantastic. And where can people go if they want to find you more online? Do you have social media or anything like that? I'm on social media at Choose Finch and Instagram at Choose Finch and then Twitter at Choose Finch. But then my personal is Lizzie H188. Fantastic. Lizzie Horvitz, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciated that talk. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Looking forward to having you back. Hey guys, Eugene here from Verdant Growth and host of This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature. I've been doing this podcast for a few months now, and I could use some help. I just don't have the time to edit episodes like I did during the pandemic, and I've had to hire an editor. I don't have enough to pay them for as many episodes as I'd like to do per month. If you're interested in supporting me and my podcast, try donating, one time or monthly. Even one dollar helps. I love doing this show, but I can't do it as much as I'd like without your help. If you can't donate, just hit that subscribe button or tell your friends. Me and the rest of the world could use your help. Let's work together to make this planet we call home a great place through sustainability. Thank you.